This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hello and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm the host, Lorena Turner. I'm a lecturer in the communication department at California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California, and I'm also a photographer. I've always been fascinated with the family photo album and its implied function and narrative. Photographer Daniel Coburn has turned his similar fascination into his book, The Hereditary Estate. The Hereditary Estate is his first monograph. It was published in 2015 by Kara Verlag. In his book, Daniel meshes together large format images of individual family members with images that were he carefully selected from collections of other people's photos, meaning strangers, construct a story about his family that in his mind more accurately represented the history of his family. In our conversation, Daniel and I talk about his book, the limitations of family photography and storytelling, and speculate on the future of the thrift store archive. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm talking today to Daniel Coburn about his book, The Hereditary Estate. It was published in 2014 by Kara Verleg. Welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Thanks so much. Thanks for the invitation. It's, It's good to speak with you. And you too. I was hoping you could start by describing your book, The Hereditary Estate. Absolutely. Um, well, um, to give you a little bit of a background, there's um, a history of domestic violence, uh, substance abuse, suicide, and my personal family history. When I was uh, about you know, 14 or 15 years old, I had an argument with my father, and um, being a uh, kind of unruly teenager, I yelled out, I'm going to kill myself really loud to him. And it was then that I saw my father, who had always been this kind of archetype of masculinity, kind of fold right before me. He uh, began to weep. Um, I'd never seen my father cry before, but it was then that he confessed that he'd had a brother and I'd had an uncle that had committed suicide. Um, It wasn't too long after that that um, my mother um, started to kind of slowly reveal stories about um, her troubled past, um, her she suffered physically and emotionally, psychologically at the hands of my maternal grandfather, um, uh, who was um, a perpetrator of domestic violence against um, my mom and her mother and uh, my aunt. Um, so my work and research looks at the family photo album. Obviously, there were no photographs in my personal family album to document that kind of troubled um, history or the, the dark kind of past of my family. Um, and so my work um, investigates the family photo album as one component of a visual infrastructure that supports the American dream. Uh, my question is why why do not why don't um, typical family photo albums reveal um, important but sometimes negative 
um, aspects of the, the family history. And so I really do, I really think of this, this book as an amendment to the family photo album. Um, it's kind of an anti-family photo album. Um, well, we're going to talk at length about your book shortly. Um, but first, I, I'd like to know how did you uh, how did you become interested in photography? What did you study? How did photography come into your life, and how have you kind of embraced it? And maybe even why? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it kind of happened by accident. Um, I didn't set out to be a photographer. I have um, I worked as a professional graphic designer for ten years. My first degree that I received was an associate's degree in graphic arts. And I worked for a major publishing company for 10 years. Um, I had endured kind of my own kind of uh, major tragedy in my life. I was married and then I was divorced. Um, and not long after that, I started just going on these hikes to kind of clear my mind. I witnessed these beautiful things. and I picked up a camera to start, try to start to document those things. And what I found, what I discovered is the camera is this really fantastic tool, creative tool. And I was surprised by just how much creative control um, you had with the camera. And it just kind of blew me away. From there, I began to make landscape photographs. And those landscape photographs um, kind of gained popularity in regional galleries. And I started to sell those landscape photographs in regional galleries. Um, and I was able to quit my job as a full-time graphic designer based on those sales, which was really fantastic. Wow. Um, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and some of those, some of the landscapes that I made, you actually, actually will see in the book, the hereditary estate. Um, so that harkens to my past as a, a photographer. Um, and what I discovered is I was really interested in the sublime, you know, this idea of beauty and fear. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately kind of, I creatively kind of got worn out making landscape photographs. I wanted to make more challenging work. And it was then that I decided to, um, pursue my education further and I received my BFA and then I went on to receive my master's of fine arts at um, the University of New Mexico. But um, the reason why I love photography so much is, is its connection to reality. And um, when you study photography, you realize just how subjective the medium is. Um, mm -hmm. And, but I really love this connection between photography and truth and that most people still perceive photo photography as a truth. And I think that's a really powerful tool that you can use as a photographic artist. So when you, so when you, you just talked about that when you first came to photography and you said that you found it a really great creative tool, mm -hmm. um, does, that, is that, does that connect to what you just said this, uh, about its, its connection to truth and... Um, assuming that it, what, part of what you're implying here is that because there is an image implies truth, that there's room for subversion of that belief. And that is a powerful thing. Um, is that when you, when you speak of going back to the first part, when you speak of photography as a creative tool, is that part, is there more to it than that? Or is it really, is that really your, what you're talking about? No, I think there's, it's very complex. You know, that's one part of it. What initially turned me on to photography is when I actually started to take manual control of the camera. You know, we live in this age where everything is kind of convenient and the cameras are programmed to make 
you know, technically good photographs. <laughs> um, but what I discovered is, you know, by taking manual control of the camera, um, you really have a lot of aesthetic control. You can create images that are in dialogue with painting and drawing, or you can make photojournalistic images, which are somehow indicative of this kind of truth that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really under, I, I came to this understanding that photography was this very malleable um, creative tool conceptually and technically. And did you find, so as a graphic designer, did you find that photography suited your creativity like particularly well, or had you explored other creative media as well? And this was, this was, you just found there to be kind of a, a symbiosis for you. Um, kind of at that point in my career as a graphic designer, I was, um, I had no interest in, in really trying to relate photography to designs. Um, I was at that point in my career, um, more interested, less interested in working with clients for instance, you know, when you're a graphic designer, you have these clients that are kind of telling you what to do all the time, or they have some sort of input in the process. Me being somewhat of a nonconformist, um, I just grown tired of that. So I was more interested in, in using the camera as a tool for my own kind of personal creative exploration. However, you know, you can't ever really ignore your history. You are kind of the culmination of your life experience. Um, the kind of professional endeavors that you've taken on in your life. And I've found that I have not been able to fully re- remove myself from the way a designer thinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that there is still a component of design that's present in my photographs and that history is still there. Well, let's talk about your book, The Hereditary Estate. How did you start this project? Well, it happened accidentally. So the photographs that are in the book take place over about an eight-year period, eight- or nine-year period. I, you know, what happened was I was in graduate school. I was in my second year. I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My family lives in Kansas. I was completely uninspired in New Mexico. You know, there was nothing that I could really identify with there. It was just completely foreign kind of social and geographical landscape. And um, I went home one summer and I made this photograph of my mom when she was kind of bobbing around in the pool. And you can see this photograph on my website. Um, It's called Mom Cools Off in the Pool. Anyways, it was one of those pictures that really, it really resonated with me. You know, I wasn't quite sure why at the time, Mm -hmm. but it was a really powerful photograph. And I learned later that it was this image of my mother that portrayed her as this kind of menacing yet fragile matriarch of the family. And uh, since then, I've, I've made photographs of my family um, because I really think that's the, uh, the most genuine way to make photographs is, is to explore the, the world that you know intimately. No one else could make these photographs of my family. It would be disingenuous for me to go off to some foreign country and try to make photographs or even to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and make photographs. So uh, I really feel like... Um, it's important to um, be genuine, stay true to your uh, to your, your your own personal world, and try to make it accessible for the rest of the world. So that's how it started, mm-hmm. and um, it's just kind of evolved since then. You took that one picture of your mom. Then did you did you saw, did you kind of see a way into like it kind of gave you an opening to photograph other people, and then did you accumulate a large number of images? 
and think, how can I cohesively tell the story of my family? Yeah, I wanted to tell the story of my family. I just, I strictly, I mean, I've always casually made portraits of other people, but my serious work is about my family. And um, I really, you know, at that when that happened, it opened this whole new world to me. I started thinking about the family photo album and why the types of pictures that we see in family photo albums are there. It was, I recently watched a documentary uh, with Christian Baltansky who said that um, <clears throat> most, photo fam- most family photograph albums are filled with cliches. You know, there's, okay. there's the kids in front of the Christmas tree. There we are at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and in a way, most family photo albums become interchangeable. And I was really interested in that phenomenon. So I started looking at the origins of how this idea of the ideal American family was constructed. And so I lo- started looking at advertisements, early 20th century advertisements, where, you know, this ideal, this idea of the ideal family was constructed to be just that an ideal so that companies could sell products to people in hopes, and they would hope to ascribe to this kind of ideal image of the family that they created. So <laughs> um, that's complicated, but I wanted to reject that notion. And so my work is in two parts. It's my photographs. And then it's my research of this um, construction of the ideal family. As a, as a part of your research, did you look into Kodak and Kodak's relationship to packaging and capturing the ideal family? Absolutely. Yeah. What did you find uh, out there? <laughs> well, I mean, well, what you find in, you know, mid-century um, ads from uh, Kodak is they're selling you cameras, but they're also selling you the archetype of the ideal family. So most of the time what you'll see, interestingly enough, is not a photograph, but an illustration um, of a kind of an ideal family. And underneath that, you'll see them marketing these tools, cameras, to um, a kind of um, to live up to try to mold your family into that image that they've already provided you right there. Um, I remember so, yeah, seeing really in, in, I remember seeing in very early Kodak ads that there would even be a kind of almost an instruction uh, or instructions that were embedded into the advertisement of like when are the correct moments that you take a picture, right? Because no one because at the time that they were trying to sell their cameras to people who were not kind of trained as photographers, right, in, in set, like typically before that, people were trained to take pictures in these very specific settings in the studio. Um, if there were portraits, then how do, you, how do you tell people that these are the correct moments, the ones that they want to preserve, you know, and that kind of leads into this... Um, this construction, as you say, of the ideal family and the, the, the visual or photographic development of that. It's interesting. It's, it's very complicated. I could spend all day talking about it. But, um, you know, it's interesting the way that they, you know, use gender. You know, typically the, the mother was cast as the documentarian, the family documentarian. Right, right. In these ads, um, which is kind of fascinating, fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I really think it was an effort to sell more cameras. They sold the idea of the camera as this extension of the family unit. The camera was just as important as the family members. <laughs> right, right. Or uh, such, they were, it, it was, uh, um, um, it 
coincided or it was always in conjunction with the event itself, like the almost, or, you know, early on, I think the, there was this idea that the event exists for the camera that exists, the camera exists for the event, you know, that kind of interchange there. Absolutely. I mean, very much photography, family photography at some point very much became about keeping up with the Jones, you know, you want your family to be represented in a way that's, um, um, competes with your neighbor. <laughs> that's comparable. Right. Exactly. That's exactly. comparable with your neighbor. Right. right. And, and that's really fascinating to me. And so I'm also interested in when that happened, like, mm-hmm. can you pinpoint when there was this shift <clears throat> between using photography to preserve a memory? You know, if you think about postmortem photographs, pictures, when photography was invented, people were photographing dead people to remember them, which is a very, one of the most genuine ways or um, the photography has been used in my opinion to this um, very constructed um, version of family. And what you just talked about, I mean, it's Susan Sontag, Roland Bartz have all talked about how the camera intervenes. It transforms the family rituals have changed because of the presence of the camera. Right. Which is really fascinating to me. Me too. So how do you see your book? Cause I, I did a little research before we talked. I certainly saw your book and I, I um, listened to you talk about your book and you made this comment where you said that you see your book as a supplement to the family photography, photo- sorry, the family photography album. That's correct. Yeah. Um, how, how can you describe that a little bit more? What does that mean to you? Well, it's telling, uh, I think of it as telling the, the part of the story that's missing from my own family photo album. And it is that history that's related to domestic violence and uh, substance abuse, alcoholism, suicide. <clears throat> but I try, I think one of the powers of photography is um, its ability to evoke. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to instruct or inform. I want to make images that hopefully people can identify with. And, that, and that's one of the struggles that I come up against as a photographer that's making very personal work. It's like, who cares about my family? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really try to make images with a strong kind of implied narrative. I give people a little piece of the story and I hope that they can bring their own kind of history and experiences to those photographs. The idea, you know, I, the reason that I wanted it to be a book was I, I liked the idea of it possibly landing on bookshelves in domestic environments next to people's photo albums. I think that's, a really kind of cool idea hmm. and, and kind of a, a subversive idea. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, a, that is a cool idea to have. have <laughs> do you have, have, do you have any proof that that's happened? <laughs> you know, no, I, sh- I don't, <laughs> I should, <laughs> uh, maybe it's a fantasy. I don't know. Right. Um, but I mean, maybe I should, you know, email people that have bought my book and ask them to make a, a photograph of it or something, but that would be disingenuous. I don't know. Right, I mean, right. it's, it's, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> There is this kind of disconnect when you make when you make art and you publish it in book form. It it gets distributed in the world, and you don't really have any clue of where it actually ends up. But I, anyway, I like that idea anyway, mm-hmm. and it was a very intentional kind of thing from the beginning. Does your family have? I, I assume that your family has photo albums. Sure. Yeah. And what what kind of what kind of narrative did you pull from those? <laughs> Either before you made the project, it probably shifted somewhat after you kind of started to understand this history of your, your family a bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it very much was kind of your typical idealized family album. 
there were photographs that were omitted from the album, you know, photographs of my uncle mm-hmm. who committed suicide. There weren't many photographs of my maternal grandfather, probably for good reason. And later I would discover those kind of hidden away in the dusty corners, um, on the top shelves of closets, in the drawers, you know, of the bureaus of my grandparents. Wow. And I've, I've inherited a lot of those as well, you know, as, you know, I'm turned 40 this year, my parents are aging, my grandparents have all passed. And so I've inherited some of this stuff, which uh, is, you know, forces me to constantly kind of reevaluate my own identity. Uh, surprisingly, I looked a lot like my uncle. My, when I was a kid, my dad always used to accidentally call me Rick. And really? never knew why. I thought, that's weird. Why is dad calling me Rick? Um, but I looked, I looked surprisingly. And so imagine being 15 years old and discovering there's this relative that you had that you never knew about, but he looks very much like you. So it's strange. it was a strange experience. So, so they really didn't even talk about him at all? No. No, there was no discussion of him. Wow, that's real. That's deep shame. Yeah, I don't think it was malicious. You know, I think that they were probably trying to protect me, you know, and it was probably a difficult subject for them to confront. I bet, too, it wasn't. It was in part protecting you, but it's also protecting the legacy of the family. Right. So it, it, it changes it changes people's identity, family identity, if that's a part of the the narrative. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So it was it, it had, I think, probably a dual a dual function. What did he make it to 40 or around your age? No, he was very young. Oh, he was. I'm sorry. Um, he was uh, in his early 20s. When he committed suicide, so he would—he actually committed suicide before I was born. How do you? What? Sorry. What do you think the function of the family album is? So not necessarily your family album, but just family albums in general. So I'm, I'm assuming that you look—you've looked at, you know, probably thousands and thousands of individual pictures, and also lots and lots of intact albums. And yeah. what does your do? Did you draw any conclusions? I think we've been kind of programmed. Most people subconsciously make photographs when we've been told to make photographs. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that there, um, that, it, and it's been said that amateur photographers understand, really understand photography better than professionals do in the sense to say that this person was here at this time. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, it's twofold, you know, it's, it's that it's to say, you know, little Johnny was, and his parents were here at Christmas in December, you know, 2016, but it's also, we're subconsciously building photographic albums to, um, to construct the ideal, which is partially to keep up with the Jones. Like I said, Mm -hmm. partially it is to kind of, um, live a life of delusion. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I think uh, it's, it's much easier to kind of sweep those, um, the dirt under the rug, you know, when you're, um, when you have this manual that you've created that you can kind of reflect on and say, look, we're a happy family. So in, in your book you have, and please do correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm, I'm li- kind of limiting, uh, creating a limitation on um, how you, 
think and how you describe the images there, but you have essentially, as I see it, two sets of images, one set of images that you've taken of your contemporary family members, and then another set of images, which are the kind of the ones that you've sourced from other families mm-hmm. and other situations that you're kind of adding into your own images to create this new this new narrative or this supplement to a traditional family photo album is that that's correct yeah. right yep, that's, that's correct yeah. did you feel a particular emotional closeness that was this is an, a, a little bit of an odd question now that i'm saying it out loud when i was writing it it wasn't <laughs> but did you feel an emotional closeness to the images in the say the images um, of the ones that you found was there kind of a, an emotional resonance or closeness that you felt? Yeah, I mean, part of it was trying to kind of reconstruct what you know and find what was missing from the album, and mm-hmm. so there were two successful ways for me to do that. One was to make my own pictures, and was one was to you know crawl through the archives of other people's family photo albums or mine giant bins of photographs at estate sales or antique stores. And really I was looking for the pictures that were never taken from my family album. So, you know, there's one photograph of two young women and they're standing next to each other. And one of them has this kind of bandage over her eye. Mm. There's a story that my mother, this kind of haunting story that my mother told me about one time that my grandfather um, beat her mother, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that for me, that image is that is a picture of that. And there was some point when I was collecting all these images and I was looking at my own family photo albums and they all, not albums, but own family photos. And they all kind of got mixed up and I, it's started to become difficult to ascertain which were the found photographs and which were my actual family photographs. Mm-hmm. which was kind of an exciting thing for me because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the people, the people in these photographs that I find become icons. Um, they're stand-ins for sometimes myself, sometimes my grandmother uh, and other family members. What does your family think of your book? They've been making it with me. You know, they're collaborators. Um, they... Kirsten Buick, who wrote the introduction, not the introduction, but one of the uh, um, essays to my book, attributed them as, you know, co-authors of, of the work. And I totally agree with her. I couldn't have done it without them. Mm-hmm. Um, they love it. And, and it's, the, the great thing about it is it's become, I feel like it's become kind of cathartic. We've started to talk about things that we never talked about before. Um, I also kind of explain it to them as the metaphor that I use is like, I'm a novelist and I'm using these personalities in my life to create a set of characters and they are characters, but they're also you. Mm-hmm. And I try to communicate that with them about the importance of this work. You know, it's important to talk about these things. It's important to confront uh, these issues because if you don't confront it, there's this kind of cyclical uh, passing on of values, the cycle of domestic trauma and abuse that's, like born out of that um, suppression. And so, yeah, I talked to him about that. They've seen the book. They really, they really like the book. They're very proud of me. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very fortunate to have parents and family members that are willing to make themselves vulnerable for the project. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in the pictures, I was my, as I was looking at the pictures, I was thinking, are these, how are they, how does that space in which the picture is made, how is that created? Is it you, you have an idea and you ask them, you kind of, you um, collaborate with them on executing it, or is there some spontaneity in which the idea is born and then you kind of bring more to it to try to kind of amplify what it is that you're um, saying and photographing? Yeah. So I, the photographs that I make for the book are made with a large format camera. So they're four by five photographs. So if you're familiar with that device, it's a very kind of cumbersome tool to use. (laughs) And I like it. I like it because you have to work so deliberately. Mm -hmm. And this is where the the truth versus fiction comes in for me um, is that, you know, people see my work and sometimes they think that it's it represents some sort of like objective reality, like I'm this fly on the wall and I'm quickly making these photographs. No, I mean they're all it's all it's tableau. You know, mm-hmm. it's an act of theater. Um, sometimes they're inspired by events that I see kind of happen, and then I recreate those events. Sometimes an idea comes to me and I draw it, I sketch it before I ever make it. Hmm. So uh, it depends. So. It depends. It's a range, yeah. It's a range. Yeah, but people, you know. Photography, because it, you know, it's, it's made with a machine, you know, people see my images sometimes and they um, react to it in, in this way because they assume that it represents a reality, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really like it when that happens. You know. How did um, creating and executing this project change you? Um, well... I really think it was this, I executed these series of performances that helped me, you know, kind of talk to my parents about things. So it's definitely improved my relationship with my family. Wow. And that's pretty, that's pretty powerful right there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I'm an artist, you know, so it's, it's hard for me to like talk about these things because I'm not, you know, trained as a psychologist, but um, for, I can't say for me, I can't say for other people, like it, w- it would be disingenuous for me to say, oh, this has been cathartic for my parents. I hope that it has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been, it's been cathartic for me because first of all, I learn about the family history. I'm able to confront these issues that have come up before. It teaches me more about myself. It's informed the decisions that I make in my daily life. And in that way, it's been really constructive. I want, I want to just go back to the what we were talking about right before this, which will connect to the question that I just asked. But um, in creating the these these scenes or situations that you know we could call them staged in some way, but staged you know sometimes has negative implications. Um, but you they're set up and you photograph. Did you have many more images than the number that ended up in the book? No, I have thousands and thousands of pictures. I mean, just because I'm an avid picture maker, mm, I see. <laughs> probably already, I've probably already made five pictures today. And, and, and those pictures might be from my phone, but I'm, I'm always making pictures. So this work, this body of work, this book was really about, was an exercise in reflecting on what I've made for the past 10 years, you know, and as an artist trying to connect the dots, like from the seemingly disparate collection of photographs that I've made over the past 10 years, what's the common theme? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, 
Uh, where is the connective tissue between all of this? Because it does exist. I tell my students this all the time. You think that you're randomly making photographs, but you're not. And it boiled down to this idea of the sublime, which I talked about earlier, which is I really, the landscape photographs that I made were, I, I like to think beautiful, but also kind of terrifying. And I think these photographs of my family that I make are sometimes beautiful and terrifying. <clears throat> so that was kind of the idea that I had in mind. How do I make these portraits? How do I disrupt? How do I puncture this illusion of the ideal family? How do I tell a more complete story about my family? How do I honor them through this? How do I honor this history? How do I learn from this? And those, and how do I help other people come to terms with their own histories? And that's what I had in mind as I was picking photo, photographs for the book and making photographs for the book. It's a real, I, I mean, the task of, of, and this is kind of going back to what I said, and it will sound like I didn't hear anything that you just said, but I really did. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. It sounds like, um, I mean, the, the choices of the images, of the portraits that are in there, of the ones that you took, are so specific and incredibly fine. I mean, there, there's, there's nothing there that feels like it's out of place. There's, it's, it's really succinct and cohesive. And that, that is an incredible feat. And, and also to be, you know, that, that there is something really, I'm, I'm just kind of struggling that with that, which you just described myself, Mm -hmm. where I'm taking a lot, a lot, a lot of images and I cannot see the connected, connective kind of thread between them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I, and I, but I know, I know they're all coming from, you know, the same person in the same time period, you know, and, and it, it's a real, um, it's a real challenge to try to, to try to, to really see what binds them and to see how you can shape them into a, not, it's not so much a story, but into a, a body of work that represents what is, what you value, you know, and mm-hmm. what's important to you as, as a, as an individual, as a human. And that's, that's to me a, a real, that's kind of where the mm-hmm. kind of the, the meat of photography really is, is in that, the shaping of something. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I just feel like it's been argued at this point in our history <laughs> that mm-hmm. every photograph that could be made has been made. Right. Mm-hmm. And that comes up a lot and I kind of agree with it <laughs> um, in a sense so I, I've grown to think about photography not as individual images, but as a language. Mm-hmm. And in the brief history of the medium of photography, we've had some really great professional photographers, artists, photojournalists, amateurs that have helped build this kind of vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And I'm more interested in not in you know creating some sort of new image that's never been made for, before. However using the vocabulary to build complex stories and complex sentences, you know? And so that's why the book format was so important because you're able to force a psychological dialogue between pictures from page to page. And you're also able to force the sequence. Um, So I really think that's a powerful thing. And that's kind of the shift in the way that I've, it represents a shift in the way that I've thought about photography recently and, and happened about the, the time that I was making the hereditary estate. So it sounds like that's something that changed for you in doing this project. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you design this book? I have to give um, a majority of the credit to my colleague, Tim Hostler. It was a collaboration. Mm-hmm. It was important to me because I really think of myself as an author um, to have control over the sequence mm-hmm. of images and the pairing of images from page to page. That was my con- contribution to the book. Everything else, the, the materials, the cover design, the Swiss binding, uh, the in sheet color, all of that kind of stuff, and the font choices and the way the text was laid out and that kind of stuff is all his doing. Tim is a uh, also a professor at the University of Kansas where I teach, and he was formerly uh, an art director for Annie Leibovitz and worked with her on some of her major book projects. So that's yeah. a big. That's a big. Uh... Um, a wonderful person to have on your side. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) So I I definitely have to give him a majority of the credit for the book design. Yeah. It's really, it's really kind of, it's really stunning. Did you take the, the kind of the, uh, the completed package and bring it to care of Verlag? Um, it was really great working with them. They're experts on books. Um, they gave me great advice about which materials were going to work and which materials weren't going to work. And they also gave me pretty much full autonomy when it came to the design. So, wow. um, yeah, it was really great to have that kind of flexibility and I enjoyed working with them. Wow. That's really wonderful. I'm, I, I've just become recently aware of them, um, mm-hmm. and their, their photo publishing and every yeah. project I've seen has been really spectacular. Yeah. They, well, they, they, yeah, they really do make a high quality book. Um, I have several of them myself and I, it also helped that I was able to go to Germany to be on press for the book, you know, being there for the production was really important. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's a great experience to have in watching your book come to fruition in that right. way. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you think the ubiquity of cell phone photography has changed family photography? Wow. It's totally changed the, the landscape. Um, in a way it, it's changed in terms of the way photographs are proliferated. You know, if we think about it, you know, our family albums aren't in most cases in albums anymore. They're online, you know, they're, um, they take the sh- that, that a similar shape maybe in, on, photo, uh, on social media platforms. I still, however, think that the family photo album is heavily self-curated, mm-hmm. uh, probably even more so than it was with the object, if we're talking about photographic prints, right? Because... I find myself doing the same thing. I go through my phone and I delete photographs of myself that aren't particular, particularly flattering mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or they don't represent me or my family in a way that I don't want them to. So there's that step and then there's the other step. It's like which, which photographs do you decide come to an audience, which is ultimately your social media network, right? So I think a lot has changed in terms of platform, but I don't think much has changed um, – in fact, it, it may be even worse um, than it was before. Uh, one of the great, one of the things that I really love to do is go to estate sales and dig through giant bins of old photographs. That won't happen in the future. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And you know, it makes. I have a huge collection. I mean, thousands and thousands of other people's photos, and I and I think and and you can you know literally buy them on say eBay for you know fractions of a penny per image. And I, and I get them and I feel, I look at them and I think, how come these aren't more valuable? I mean, these are one of a kind. 
They're one of a kind. They're, they're rare in so many ways, not just in terms of an object, but what they represent. And, you know, I, I just can't, I don't understand because yes, I know this is coming in the future where they won't, you know, we won't be able to look into people's lives this way. You know, I, I, it's, it's fascinating to me where, how that, how that happens, that all those images exist and that we can buy them. <laughs> and how, how, because I know that we won't see them in the future, how it doesn't change the value of them now. Right. It's really, it's really a kind of a complicated issue. Again, another one of those things that I could go on for a day about, mm. but you know, there, with the object itself, when you're talking about a snapshot photograph, when it's printed, um, that object has a history, you know, it's mm. been carried around in someone's wallet. So all of the scratches, the marks, the defects in it speak to that history which adds a perceived value. It's a one-of-a-kind object, which also, you know, gives it more valuable depending on who the consumer is. But that's that's kind of gone with digital as well. It's gonna. It'll be interesting to see how this evolves in terms of how archives are managed. Um, our our ideas are changing on a daily basis about the value of things that are tangible mm-hmm. and so and unique. So. We'll see. I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller. (laughs) Right. I know. I know. I know. It's fun, though. It's fun, though, to um, think about the possibilities. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. I find that a a kind of a fascinating way to to spend some time. (laughs) Yeah. As a as a person that's really interested in the way family histories are documented through photographs, I'm terrified, you know, because I think that there could be huge stores of images that are possibly deleted or lost. Um, or which, or in the or in the future we can go to a thrift store and just there'll be a big bin of right. USB you know thumb <laughs> drives and well you just randomly choose and see what's on it. <laughs> that could be interesting. Hopefully, hopefully something like that. Happens. Hopefully, right? Because I mean that is part what's really kind of exciting about living you know living in the last twenty years is that there's you know like thrift store culture and the the giant question mark you know the giant game of chance you play every time you walk in and you see a bin of photographs i mean that's really a fantastic experience absolutely yeah Yeah. you're right i also was thinking as you were talking and i asked that question about how cell phone photography's changed family photography Mm -hmm. um that there's a lot more emphasis on the performance part of photography Um, Whereas I think in the past, there probably was less, I mean, there was an awareness that the image was going to go, you know, that you would see this image potentially, you know, you you would show it to people in your family, you'd show it to people in your friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but that, you know, circle has widened exponentially now (laughs) to everyone, you know, anyone in the world who has access to social media. And I, I think that's definitely changed you know, how we photograph, what we photograph, how we behave in front of the camera mm-hmm. for our events. Don't you think so? Yeah, absolutely. Because we're not only just talking about still images anymore, we're talking about video, you know, and um, and this whole broadcast yourself phenomenon that, that happens with Snapchat and right, right, in- right, Instagram right. and Facebook Live and all of these right. things. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I have... Um, young nieces and nephews, you know, <laughs> and it's interesting to see them come up in this kind of social media culture. It used to be, you know, when I was a kid that if, if there was a bully tormenting me or if there was, I was enduring some sort of like social distress, 
it happened when I was at school, when I came home, mm-hmm. uh, my, my home was a sanctuary. I was kind of protected from that. But now with social media, you know, um, young people are subjected to this kind of bullying and this harassment and this right. social distress constantly. And of course, photography is part of that. Um, yeah, it's a diff- I think it's a difficult time uh, for young people, especially, but I don't know how our attitudes going to change about what's socially acceptable because of this, you know, I think that they're going to, we're going to have to become more tolerant of, of, of certain behaviors <laughs> because everyone, by the time they're 18 or 20 years old now will have revealed themselves in ways of the world right. that they probably shouldn't have. <laughs> right. So, right. um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't really know. It, it's, it's hard to tell how this is going to uh, really affect people. And, you know, young people seem to adapt pretty quickly um, to the to the social media thing and this kind of phenomenon that surrounds it. So it's hard to tell. I mean, photography is interesting in the sense that it's always uh, been tied to the history of photography and the image itself is coupled to the way that it's been distributed. You know, if you think of the carte de visite, you know, which was the first way of making multiple copies of a photograph and, and then passing them out to their friends. This happened in, you know, the mid 19th century mm-hmm. to now when, you know, we're com- totally inundated with photography on a daily basis via social media. But there's still, there's always been that link between the image and the way that it meets an audience, which I think is really fascinating. What are you working on now? Um, I'm currently um, talking with a couple of, publishers about what my next book will look like. Um, so the new, the new work of two new projects, one is called the tonic of wildness. And I think of it as a short term project. It's, it's about the most political that my work will ever become, mm-hmm. but it's about this road trip that I took kind of in the wake of the Republican national convention where I just kind of decided to try to plot out an escape route to, uh, to Canada. <laughs> yeah. so, but it's also my family influence is there. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a photo essay about that trip that I took. And it's also a written piece of work um, that documents the travels, the struggles, the realizations that I came to through that, pos- that process of trying to escape. That's a recent project. The new book um, that I'm working on is a family photo album that will be from the perspective of a man that's 40 years old that does not have a family <laughs> that has not subscribed to these kind of constructs. Mm-hmm. And so imagine what that might look like. Um, I, I describe it as a visual anxiety attack. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, I think it's important work, but it's, it's still in the vein of, deconstructing the family photo album or rethinking the family photo album. Well, I love that you found, you've found a lot of ground to cover in, in the area of the family photo album, because it's something that's fascinated me for 25 years for a very, very long time. Um, and so I was really, really happy to run across, run across your book. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm really happy to hear that you're, you're still spending time with that, that you're still, you've still got some more to say about that. Sure. Yeah. Where can people find your book? Um, I would encourage them to go to my website, which is DanielWCoburn.com. Um, you can purchase the book directly from there, and you can also 
see a majority of the work that I've made through um, the course of my history as a photographer. Right. Uh, it's also available at Photo Eye Books. Great. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today to talk about your book, The Hereditary Estate. And <laughs> I, I feel like I finally got it, except I just mumbled a little bit right at the end there. Um, but uh, we will have links to where people can buy it connected to where this podcast is posted. So thank you for talking with me. Great. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. 